0: Welcome to our third edition of the Northview Reads podcast. Uh, My name is Crystal Taves. I'm the pastor of discipleship at Northview Community Church, and we are here to talk about the scriptures. We're three months, well, starting our third month into our Bible reading plan for 2024, and uh, we're going to talk about the texts we have read and the texts we will be reading in the coming month. I am here with Jesse Schellenberg. Hello. Hello. Why don't you introduce yourself? What are you up to? Where, my name where do you is, work? Yes, Jesse Schellenberg.
1: Do? I spend most of my time uh, over at the Mission Campus. Uh, things are going really well there. Uh, enjoy it. Our family, my family's been there for um, just over four years now. I'm uh, married, oh. three kids. Yeah, keeps us busy. It's
0: good. You started in around January, didn't you? Right that before year? COVID. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah That's yeah. right.
1: It was great. It was like a sign from the Lord that I'd made a
0: terrible mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and Joshua.
2: Yes, yeah, uh, I'm over at uh, Central Abbotsford, campus pastor there, and uh, you actually beat me by a month, Jesse. I've I also do been, have seniority over you, You do, years. that's yeah. right, yeah. barely, but I've also been around for four years in Central Abbey the whole time.
0: That's right. Uh, Jesse Wilson is the third addition to our group.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so community groups pastor here, been here almost a year now. We can now confirm there's two Jesses in the same room, so there are two Pastor right. Jesses at Northview. Yeah. PJ. This podcast that's is going right. to be really
1: good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you guys get mixed up for each other? Have you ever had that? Oh like... yeah, we
1: get emails for each other. It's great. Mm-hmm. Do you? Yeah. Actually, quite regularly. Yeah,
3: I try to take only about 10% of the credit that yeah. goes to him. Nice. Usually, well, like, oh, you right. did such a good job at this thing. I'm like,
1: oh, thank you. <laughs> nice. I haven't got any of those about you. That's weird. Yeah, no, no, it's not weird, actually.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, we have lots of like doppelgangers, it seems, on staff yeah, here that true. get mixed up for each other. So. Christians
1: aren't
2: all that creative when it comes to naming
1: their children sometimes. No. Okay, fun Bible fact. 25% of the women women during during dur, <laughs> the, woman. The, the woman the women during during Jesus's lifetime were named Mary. Yeah. Oh, I, right. Not surprised. Yes. There's like 500 no. of them in the there's New Testament. There's four of anyway. them at his crucifixion. Yes, exactly. It's crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, Mary the mother of Clopas and yes, Mary the mother of yeah, yeah. James and John and right. Mary his mother and yeah. yeah, and yeah and Mary the lots mother of Marys. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Well, that might be a fun fact that comes up later because right. <laughs> we you're talking about Luke and Mark. <laughs> totally. Um, but One thing I really wanted to talk about as we start off, I've chatted with a couple different people that have said that this Bible reading plan has got them into the scriptures for the very first time. So either they've been around church for a while, but they haven't read the Bible before. Mm. But two of the people that I talked to were actually like brand new to church, like coming through baptism, all those kind of things. And so they're entering these texts with like eyes wide open, like, what are we reading here? Asking questions that are really good questions. But I thought we'd start off by kind of addressing maybe people who might be new to reading the Bible and say, like, what are your top Bible reading tips that you would like people to know? What's okay. going to help them as they engage with the scriptures this year? So who wants to start?
2: Joshua yes, yeah. does. Sure, okay. I'd love to go yeah. first. Um, yeah, my, my number one piece of advice to anybody opening the scriptures is to know just what the book is um, and what it claims to be, that it, it claims to be God's living word, Um Uh, useful for teaching, reproof, training, correcting, and righteousness, but it is the living word of God. Um, And if that's the case, when God speaks, he reveals what is true about himself to us. He's making himself known. We would not know who God is unless he made himself known to us. And the scripture is that special, unique place where we have the sharpest, clearest view of the character of God. So when you're reading the scriptures, particularly when we're in the Old Testament, sometimes it feels like you get lost in these details. There's geographical locations, there's names, there's genealogies, and it feels like, oh my goodness, how do I keep track of all this? Do I have to memorize it all? Is that what Christians do? But I think to back up and simply say, what is God revealing to me about himself? Mm -hmm. What is true of the character of God here? Do I see his compassion and his grace, but his justice and his wrath, right? Uh, In every story, when it seems like there's a, a key character, like Joseph or Moses, who comes to the forefront, actually uh they're they're a secondary character god is the main worker he's the main actor in the whole scriptures and we're just seeing him at play in the life of lives of certain people so that would be my best piece of advice just just uh be particularly aware of how god is revealing himself his character to you as you open up the scriptures
0: yeah so one thing we've said like if you do nothing else as you read through it say what did this passage teach me about god right and you could ask what does it teach us about people too because we see throughout scripture that kind of the hearts of people are the same but those two questions really help you get at like the heart of a, any biblical passage because mm-hmm. it us about his character yeah. yeah yeah jesse Schellenberg.
1: yeah for myself uh i would say something that has helped me uh, i think understand the scriptures better is to realize that the bible is written for us so i i open up the scriptures and it is god's word to me which is awesome uh, but I wasn't the primary audience of it. So a simple way to say the God, the, the Bible's written for us, but it isn't written to us. And in many places, it's very explicit who the audience is, right? Whether it's Paul's letters um, to the uh, church in Philippi or, or whatever it might be. And so that means I'm, I'm kind of opening up someone else's mail sometimes. And I don't know if you've ever had a, a card to your spouse or a friend and you open it up and you see what that person wrote to them. You read it a little bit differently and it helps us, I think, understand some of the cultural quirks or differences that maybe don't make sense to us and and uh, allows us to kind of step into that work of understanding what was Paul saying to this audience and then how does that necessarily apply to me in my context so many years later but yeah just a, a helpful tip that has helped me
0: yeah okay
2: and one of the things that Jesse Wilson you'd made this comment as we were chatting before the podcast here about reading the scriptures um being aware of texts that are prescriptive and descriptive Mm. and i think the comment you're making is really important that um there are things in the old testament prescribed as in told to the people of israel they should do this do this as an action Um, but that is not prescriptive for us today right right Uh, we don't have to go and take bulls and goats and all these things and take them to the temple and slaughter them right that's not prescriptive today it was for that original audience. Right. So what is there for us, but that is not a command to us. Right. Mm-hmm. So, that, so just to clarify, prescriptive being you're told to do something. This is how you ought to live. Yeah. And descriptive, simply telling you this is what happened. Um, it's not saying it will happen every time this way, but that's just how the story went in right. that particular context. Yeah.
0: Right, so sometimes there's things that happen in the Bible that are like atrocious stories. And people will read the Bible and think, God wants us to do horrible things. But we're supposed to say, no, actually, this story was descriptive of what people did that was bad, that was against God's law. Because as we read, we're going to talk about Exodus. In Exodus, we see this is God's heart for people, the Mm. Ten Commandments. This is how he wants them to live. But then you see throughout the Bible that people actually lie and cheat and steal and commit adultery and worship other gods. And you're like, ah! But that's not... That's descriptive, but the prescriptive is, this is how God wants us to live. This is what he's calling his people to do, right? And so I think keeping those things in mind that the Bible has both. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's just describing something that's happening, something that's God's command or through the mouth of Moses or the prophets telling people how to live. Yeah.
2: Um, I was actually having a conversation with our ministry apprentice students uh, not long ago about two texts in the New Testament, the Ananias and Sapphira story, Mm -hmm. right? So they, they go and say that they've sold their land and they've given all the money to the church, but they haven't. They've kept half back to themselves. And they go in, they tell Peter, we sold it all, here's all the money. And Peter starts with, I think it's Ananias first, and says, why would you lie to the Holy Spirit? And he dies right there, boom. And Sapphira comes in and does the same thing. Yeah, we gave it all, boom, dead. Um, Should we expect every time we come to the church and we lie to be struck down?
1: Absolutely. Right. (laughs) On the admission, Our churches would (laughs) be a
2: lot smaller if that was the case, right? Uh, So it's a descriptive text. That's what happened. It's not telling us what will happen every time. Right. Um, and a similar one in 1 Corinthians, when he talks about taking um, communion in an unworthy manner. He right. says, some of you are sick and even dying yeah. because you've this. Does that mean that every time we take communion in an unworthy manner, whatever that means, right. we should expect to get sick? No, not necessarily. That's just what happened then. That's what God did then. Yeah. That doesn't mean that's what he'll do every time. Right? Right. I think it's helpful.
0: Yeah, and we don't have to not every property that we give have to give 100% to the church. Like, it's not a descriptive thing either. For the, right. Like, it wasn't a problem that they kept half back. The problem was that they lied, they lied right? Yeah, yeah. So it's That's right. thinking through the story, what was the actual problem here right. um, in that situation? So Jesse Wilson, what's your top Bible reading tip?
3: I mean, I love what, some of what's already been raised here. I, I was thinking of somebody who was describing um, being part of this reading plan and saying how at this point in the year, this is the furthest they've ever made it um, in sticking with a Bible reading plan, which for them is, you know, awesome thing to to reflect on I was thinking of the opposite of that though is sometimes like okay I, I can't stick with it because it feels like I, I come to these texts and especially if you're doing one through the Bible like we're doing it's like oh I don't I didn't get anything out of it when I sat down and' I've, I've, tried, and I've tried and I tried to don't I haven't got anything out of it so one of the tips I would say it's helped me is is to not come to the text with an expectation that you you slam back your coffee in the morning on your way to work and you've, you've managed to hit that part of reading plan, and it's like I have to have something to take with me to the office or to the school drop off or whatever. Like sometimes it's okay to 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 you know work your way through the text and not have like a okay now here's my to do list for the day. Sometimes right. um, maybe it's helpful to even just step back and go here's a here's a question I now have uh, as a result of 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 being with the Lord in this, and so to not feel that pressure like oh every time I have to have an action step an application. Sometimes those won't be uh, apparent. Sometimes it's okay to to leave with. Here's now a thought I'm gonna mull over for the rest of the day. We're, we're talking earlier about the sometimes in the Psalms even we see like the the benefit or the blessing of, of meditating on the word, you know, mm. chewing on it throughout the day, pondering some things. So sometimes it's okay, and I would even encourage this to yeah. to actually leave not necessarily with an action step, but with a question to bring with you, uh, you know, to. Christian community or, or just to sit on or, or have with you uh, and see what God does with that. Um, there's benefit mm-hmm. in just sitting in the word, as, as you are saying, Joshua, because of, it's a living word uh, and not having gotten something out of that particular reading on that particular day.
1: Right. Yeah, I think sometimes when we read the scriptures, we are left with, it. man, I, I need to grow my prayer life or, yeah. or I need to work on my relationships with, with these people or, or love my neighbor. But then there's times where the application is simply like, isn't Jesus amazing? Mm-hmm. Or isn't God like just mm-hmm. behold your God, mm-hmm. right? And it doesn't feel like, yeah, but what's the action? It's like that, right? Mm-hmm. Just just enjoy mm-hmm. the Lord. So yeah, it's a good, that's a good word. Yeah,
0: yeah as we're going through Leviticus, like there's all these you know, right. sacrifices are supposed to, to do. do. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. what I really loved it, like, I think it's Leviticus 9, yeah. all of a sudden there's this moment where they said, and they did everything that they were supposed to do, and the glory of God came out yes. and consumed the sacrifice, and it was yep. like this rejoicing that they did everything mm. that God commanded. And yep. that's just to, like, glory. Wow, for a while yes. there, they were obedient. <laughs> right, and, like, right, just right. to say, it was just a kind of a foretaste of yeah. this, like, great relationship, and yeah. that's nothing to do out of it. It's yeah, just yeah. to just enjoy that moment, right, yeah. of their obedience. That's oh. good. That is yeah. good.
3: good. Did you have a tip for us, Crystal?
0: Yeah, uh, I think because I did like an English degree, I kind of like getting into the weeds of like literary stuff. But I think one of the big things that really helped me was realizing that the, especially the Old Testament, all these stories, they have a narrator and the narrator is actually kind of giving you God's perspective on a situation. And then characters around that narrator need to be kind of analyzed in terms of whether or not they're telling you the same thing the narrator is so that if the characters are saying something different you realize oh that character is actually shady or trustworthy, untrustworthy or lying or whatever because sometimes we think the bible contradicts itself and this came up in the exodus um, story because we have the story of Aaron the, the narrator telling us how Aaron made this golden calf and it basically says he took this gold and melted it and fashioned it and used a tool yeah. and all this stuff and then when Aaron gets confronted, he says, oh, I just threw this gold into the fire and pop, out came this calf. And you realize, ah, oh, he's not telling you the same story the narrator is. So Aaron is suspect. And I think that comes up throughout scripture. There's a lot of different times where when we get to the end of 1 Samuel, uh, King Saul dies and the narrator tells you how he dies. And then in 2 Samuel, someone comes and tells you that he killed King Saul. And it's a different story than the narrator told you. And so then you realize, oh, that character isn't telling the truth. And so if you don't understand that role of the narrator and the characters, sometimes you think the Bible is contradicting itself. Or, so it's a little helpful tip. That's so. good.
2: And I think I think one of the, the best things out of, a, out of a tip like that is the encouragement to read your Bible with your mind engaged. Yeah, right. like you it's, would any book. That's right, as you yes. would any book. Like just pay attention to who's, who's speaking. Yeah. Um, and when, when does the character shift? And when does the scene shift? And so it's just so easy. We've all been there. We're sitting around this table, four pastors. We've all been there. When your eyes glaze over... And you realize you get to the bottom of the page, and you're like, "What <laughs> the, yeah, <totally>. I guess <laughs> yeah. I, I did it, I read, yeah, but yeah, I have yeah. yeah. no idea what I read. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's a real challenge, but that is the way that we're called to engage with the scriptures, with our minds, thoughtfully. Mm-hmm. So that's really
0: good. Yeah. And it is a piece of literature, like any literature. Right. So we need to think about, yeah. as we would read a story, how would we read these things? So yeah. yeah. So now we're going to get into just some kind of looking back and looking forward. We looked, we read through Genesis 36 to 50 in February. Um, we read through Exodus. We started Leviticus and Matthew ended. Matthew began Mark. So Joshua, I think you're gonna kinda of give us some highlights from the Genesis passage. Yeah. What did you want us yeah. to so take that, away or think about?
2: That whole chunk at the end of Genesis is pretty much entirely the story of Joseph, mm-hmm. right? With a few few kind of tangents here and there. Um, but I think I think Joseph is one of my very favorite extended narratives in the Old Testament, personally. Like I Moses is a lot of fun, David is a lot of fun, but for some reason Joseph just feels like its own. You sit down and you're going to write a, a script for a movie. It's got everything, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's got the betrayal at the start, the arrogance and the pride of Joseph. I've got this dream. You're going to bow to me, brothers. Um, and I think a couple of things that are just worth worth highlighting out of that story is is um, first of all the the character development of Joseph. And I say that uh, character development. We maybe think of that in the context of stories. But literally, in this in this case, it's the development of his character. Um, he began mm-hmm. as a as a proud, kind of arrogant young guy. He was the favorite child. You know, I've got a dream. I've got this robe, and then he he gets humbled. Boy, does he get humbled and mm-hmm. unrighteously, unjustly. So yes, but he gets humbled, and he's sold into slavery. But you see God at work in his life, taking him through trial after trial, yep. hope and expectation when certain other prisoners get sent out and maybe, just maybe, they'll, they'll say, right? Um, is it the, the winemaker? The, mm-hmm. um, he'll cup say, bearer, the yeah. cupbearer. Um, he'll say that I'm, I'm here and remember me. And he doesn't, right? He forgets about him. Um, there's that hope and expectation. And in the end, God brings him through to be a leader in Egypt and yet a shockingly good leader, a humble, caring, who now is confronted with his past when his brothers show up and he has to realize, how do I do this? But in the end, uh, he cares for his family, and he loves them despite their betrayal. So I think, I think there's something to be learned there for you and me. Um, in, in the expectation that we have about our life and the way that God will shape and form us, um, we would love it if the story panned out exactly as we imagine. right? Uh, I'm going to go to school, get a degree. I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to get married, have four wonderful kids. They're all going to go to school and we're, you know whatever. Everything's going to work out exactly as I intend, stress-free, and that, you know, ask anybody, that's just not the case. That's not the story. And why is that? Is it because God just has it out for us? No, it's not. It's because God is at work in our lives through the difficulties, through the highs and the lows, shaping us into the likeness of his son. That is his purpose. That is his intent. Romans 8, he's conforming us to the image of his son. So I think that's, that's something really special out of that story. It's just seeing the highs and the lows, God using that. And then um, secondly, just seeing God in in that story, right? Um, the little comment when he's thrown in prison, and the Lord was with him. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, oh. <laughs> you know, if I was in prison, um, maybe my first thought is, well, obviously, the Lord's not with me. And yet the comment is, no, he is. So um, yeah, really great things to learn out of that story. I, one of my favorites. But those would be two highlights is seeing God form the character of Joseph, but also just realizing God's presence with him, despite the challenges, he has not forsaken. He will not leave nor forsake those who are his. Right.
0: Yeah. it's yeah. great. Yeah. How about you carry that on into Exodus, Jesse? Mm-hmm. Jesse W?
3: Well, yeah, well, it was a good um, handoff, actually. You're thinking, you know, this God who is with us. And so in, in Exodus, so many things about the, the God who is with his mm-hmm. people and uh you know, we're, we're recording this at the time of, like, uh, awards season in, like, the movie industry and TV industry, and you, you look at year after year these movies that get nominated for things and, you know, what, what people love about them, and sometimes I kind of sit back and I go, like, well, yeah, well, that movie did well because it drew off of the themes or the plot lines or some of the similar styles or techniques or whatever – uh, of movies that came before in, in the past that maybe some people never even saw these uh, and don't realize that they're borrowing from them. They're, they're drawing these things out. And I think Exodus for me is one of those books that if you, if you get only you know the New Testament stories here and there about Jesus and, and ideas about God just from the New Testament, boy, it's like so much of this was here all the way back in Exodus. The, and I, I think going through it again you know, recently and some of it I'm I you know, reading even on, on vacation, sitting back and going like, Again, I don't know if I have anything necessarily to do with some of these texts, but boy just sitting in the this kind of fresh awe of wow, this this is our God. You you get all this stuff about the the power of God in Exodus, you know, moving through you you know, almost every scene. There's there's a burning bush, there's mm-hmm. there's these miracles happening, there's these signs and wonders in the plagues, there's this obviously this massive Red Sea moment. Uh, you get this uh, appearing of, of God before his people on this mountain with you know thunder lightning fire like just, just immense and overwhelming for for the senses and it's like well this this all along is, has been who our God really is uh, the the power the the wonder of of, of him and uh, I'm thinking of all these different scenarios of, of people um, in our church right now I'm just aware of you know the some of these immense like financial burdens people are in some of the just um, terrible medical situations people are facing and it's like wow to to sit in exodus and be reminded again of well look look who is with you um you, you know you're 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 in this yes this is true of your situation but look who's also alongside that bad truth the good truth of this god who is with you uh, i was struck a few weeks ago from uh our reading in exodus uh Thirty-three and Moses' interaction with the Lord, and he, and he and he says this phrase like, "Is it not in your going with us mm-hmm. that we are distinct, mm-hmm. I and your people from every other on the face of this earth?" I'm like, "That's that's way back and buried in the Old Testament." I'm like, "That's us, our story right now, today." Mm-hmm. Like, "Is it not in the presence of the living God with us that we are distinct, distinct in in how we suffer, distinct in how we steward our resources, distinct in all these things, in that this." powerful glorious god is the one uh with us and Mm -hmm. and you know that that spills over into some of the highlights from matthew and and from mark like jesus saying as he as he leaves physically we don't see him you know physically with us but hey i am with you Mm -hmm. always to the end of the age and it's like this this is that god with with you now like as you're listening to this with you in in whatever you know life stage scenario you're facing like this this powerful glorious one and and i think for uh, you know as we've started into mark you know reading up to mark i guess six this morning with where we are in our planet at the time of recording like i, I was looking just kind of scanning the the last few days and going the amount of demonstrations of the power of god through yeah. the life and ministry mm-hmm. of jesus like i'm like i don't know if i realized how much was condensed into th- this short amount of space in the gospel but you got like like over 10 healing stories and some of those healing stories are you know described as many or several yes. or the whole yeah, region yeah. or it's like yeah. how many people totally. has he healed yes. by mark what, chapter six just touch six? his cloak i know yeah, yeah, yeah. Love yeah. It. Yeah. everybody who who did yeah. that or or this these these amazing like power moves of calming a storm <laughs> yeah, or, or whatever like you're you're getting all these demonstrations raising this girl from the dead and it's like wow you know if there's any wondering about like what hope is there for us or you know and who we are following like what a great discipleship book to be in uh regardless of how good or bad life is to go here here's the god who's with you a god of power and care and uh presence like just yeah really really striking to be in these books at the same time and see Mm -hmm. this
0: but yeah, and good. his heart for his people, right? It talks about Jesus having compassion on them because he yeah. sees them as sheep without a shepherd, and yeah. just that in the midst of his own exhaustion and trying yeah. to get away from the crowds, mm-hmm. like these people, but they need me. <laughs> and yes. so I'm gonna serve yeah. them and yeah. minister to them. Yeah. 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 yeah, and you see God in Exodus hearing the cries of his people and yeah. wanting to mm-hmm. rescue them and just that heart mm-hmm. of God for his yeah. people. Yeah. And, yeah. and and
3: and upon rescuing them, like some of these crazy again, drawing from we think that this is just New Testament stuff, you no, know, all the way back in the old, like. You are not my treasured possession. Like you're going to be a kingdom of priests. Like, like yeah. wow. Like we think the the New Testament stuff. Like we're, we're so captivated by that. But but this has been the heart of God all along. And and even now he reveals you know the Lord the Lord a God merciful gracious slow to anger like all those descriptions that get repeated all throughout Scripture from that moment on. Like that's that's who we are as His people, and that's who He's been all along as well.
0: Yeah. Great. So Leviticus, right? this is a whole different shift. What are you can tell us about Leviticus, Jesse right. Shellberg The
1: the book of the Bible where reading plans go to die, exactly. right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, hey, hang in there. Keep reading Leviticus. Uh, but as, as Jesse Wilson was explaining, uh, God has rescued his people and he wants to dwell with us. But there is a problem. How does a holy God mm-hmm. dwell with a sinful people? And that is the question that I think we have to have on the front of our minds when we're reading Leviticus. Mm-hmm. Leviticus answers that question. There's a, a neat little nugget I've I, I noticed recently. The beginning of, of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 1 verse 1, it says that God speaks to Moses outside the tent of meeting. So he's not in the tent of meeting with God. And then you fast forward to the next book of the Bible, Numbers, and Moses is meeting with God in the tent of meeting. And so interesting, so bef- as Leviticus starts, Moses is outside the tent of meeting, mm-hmm. Numbers begins, Moses is in the tent of meeting. So I think to suggest that there's something about Leviticus has allowed Moses to enter into the dwelling place of God. And so what happened in Leviticus, or, or what does Leviticus teach us about a sinful people dwelling with a holy God? Mm-hmm. And this is where we're going to encounter lots of things in Leviticus. Uh, kind of three main uh, categories of, of uh, rules and regulations. There's going to be some rituals. So these are the various uh, sacrificial uh, rituals uh, that are, are done. Uh, there's a group of them at the beginning and a group of them at the end. Uh, a lot of them have to do with how God's people are to say thank you, Uh, for the things that he's done, and a lot of them have to do with how uh, people are are to say sorry, uh, guilt offerings and sin offerings and so on and so forth. There's also lots of feasts embedded in there, but these are the the sacrificial uh, rituals. Uh, There's also a priesthood that's going to Mm -hmm. be established, which is really important. So God's people not only need to do these sacrifices in order to dwell with the Holy God, but they need a priesthood, a mediator, someone who is going to represent them to God and who is going to represent God to Uh, The people. So that's an important theme uh, to note and and to pick up on throughout Leviticus. And the last one is a bunch of purity laws. Uh, These ones are probably the weirdest uh, (laughs) part of of Leviticus. And there's one little uh, note that I've picked up on that has helped me kind of understand them uh, a little bit. And I think when we think of, of purity or being clean and unclean, we think of morality. So people who are doing good moral things. That's definitely part of it. But, but purity in the Old Testament uh, had to do with being set apart as well. So yes, God's people will be set apart by their high moral standard. They're going to love their neighbor and their self. They're going to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But also some of these rituals and some of these purity laws simply set them apart from other nations so that they would be marked off, fully dedicated to God. So as you're reading some of the weird ones, recognize that that purity laws aren't just about being moral because sometimes it's like, well, why is it a sin to do that or mm-hmm. or uh, to, to bleed in this way or to touch that thing or whatever? Or eat um, that certain food or whatever. I, I, absolutely, yeah. right. Whereas uh, a lot of it had to do with simply setting God's people apart, wholly marked um, for him and dedicated to him. And right in the middle of the book of, of Leviticus, we're going to run into this A day of atonement that is significant Mm. um, for us to appreciate how God's people are to dwell with the Holy God. And ultimately all of these things, as we read through them, we need to read it Christologically or with the New Testament in mind, recognizing that Jesus fulfills all of these in such a beautiful and profound way. So yes, Leviticus is a bit of a, a slog, but if we have, I think, that question in mind, how do sinful people dwell with a holy God? That's what Leviticus is answering. And then, oh my goodness, praise the Lord that he came uh, to be the ultimate mm. perfect sacrifice um, to, to fulfill all of this. So
0: yeah. yeah, the ultimate perfect sacrifice and also the perfect the, high priest, right? right absolutely. So whenever all we see it. Aaron and the yeah. priestly kind of function in right. Leviticus, that's a, a prefiguring or whatever, yes. a type yeah, of yeah. Christ, right? Yes. So it's, it's showing a picture of what kind of a mediator we need between us and God. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, looking at that character as a as a prefiguring or a media yeah, type of Christ is great. Yeah. Cool. So after Leviticus, we're going to hit Numbers, and a bunch of us at Northview did Numbers as a Bible study a couple of years ago. Um, I remember as I wrote the curriculum and told people we were doing numbers. Everyone was rolling their eyes and like, oh, numbers. (laughs) So they didn't want to do it, but then everybody actually loved it. It was awesome, yeah. Yeah. The reason why people don't want to is because the first six chapters are genealogy. They're numbers. They're numbers, Mm. counting people. But what we helped people see when we went through the Bible study is that that counting was for a specific purpose and reason. It was, first of all, counting all the fighting men, which was the beginning, and then the second census was counting all the priests. Mm. And so basically, as they went on to this journey in the wilderness, they needed to know who their army was and who was going to lead them in worship. And so those first couple chapters set up those those plans for kind of how they're going to engage in the, as they go through the wilderness and how they're going to worship. So it takes us from... Exodus kind of leaves us with Moses on Mount Sinai with the tabernacle. Leviticus fills out some of those, you know, how they should worship and <clears throat> and kind of become right with God. And then in Numbers, they set off on this journey from Mount Sinai to this promised land. And it is filled with crazy adventures along the way, lots of great stories. So like Numbers 10, they set off from Mount Sinai. And basically Numbers 10 to I think it's 32 is like one story after another of like jam-packed adventures that they kind of figure out different ways that God's going to engage with them and, um, lots of really memorable characters. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think you'll really enjoy the book of numbers again, what it teaches us about God's priorities for his people and kind of the heart of people in the midst of a wilderness situation. How do people tend to respond? How do we, what does God calling us to respond like rather than grumbling? What are we called to do? Right. (laughs) Calling to have faith in the midst of scarcity or all these different things. Right. So there's a lot of lessons to learn. Um, we see that, we see one generation of people, like the, the book spans 40 years, and so we see one generation of people that are the, the slaves that came out of Egypt dying in the wilderness, and then their kids kind of raising up and actually following in obedience. And so there's even a shift in the book between the disobedience or grumbling of the first generation, and then the, the next kind of more hopeful as they enter towards the end of that journey that they're actually obeying, and they're listening, and they're following. And so there's a shift in in numbers in that way too. So the last little bit is just setting them up for, it's a second census kind of saying, now all those first group have died. This is the numbers of our second group getting ready to enter this promised land. And so it's again, a bit, some numbers at the yeah. end, <laughs> numbers yeah. at the beginning, numbers yes. at the end, and yeah. a lot of adventure in the middle. There's and I think there's
2: something so um, so important about those numbers, um, backing up and, and seeing them in the context of God's promise to, mm-hmm. to Abraham oh, even man. way back, right? Yeah. You're going to have descendants... More than the stars in the sky, more than the sand. Yeah. And how the book of Numbers starts with these staggering numbers. 603,000 right? fighting men or something. Right. <laughs> like and then so it yeah. ends with them having even gotten bigger. Uh, and you just see God's faithfulness to his promise. Yes, I'm setting you up for war. I'm setting you up for, for being a holy people in the promised land. But also, I'm, I'm keeping my word here. Um, I, I said you would be numerous. Here you are. Look mm-hmm. at you. This, you know, whatever, dust in the desert, massive crew of people. Right. Yeah, there's something about the promise of God to see there.
0: Yeah, and you said, like he kind of says to them at the end of the book, you said you were all gonna die in the wilderness, but now like there's more of you going into the promised land. Like I've been faithful to you. And it says that their their clothes don't wear out and they're (laughs) like just crazy things. Yeah, they provide some food every day. So yeah, it's a great book. And then we go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. You want to tell us about that, Joshua. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so Deuteronomy, um, the the name Deuteronomos um is uh is the deutero is the word second, and nomos the word law. So it's the second giving of the law. So that's helpful because you are going to be reading this book, and you're going to think, haven't I read this before? <laughs> yeah. Um, and you're going to feel that a number of times. So like the Ten Commandments are there with, with some minor adjustments, but they're pretty much the same. Um, so you're going to see a lot of things that are very similar to what yeah. we've already read. But the flavor of the book is a little more forward-looking into the, mm-hmm. the time that they're going to spend in the Promised Land. It will end with... Moses handing off the leadership of Israel to Joshua, another man filled with the Spirit of the Lord, uh, empowered to lead them. So um, y- you get this kind of forward sense of uh, of expectation God is going to fulfill his promise, and yet in the fulfilling of he will do his part. But you need to be reminded, people of Israel, uh, that you also have a part in this relationship. So these are the commands to set before you once again to teach your children that you would follow them and be faithful to the Lord as you go into this land. Um, and Moses is going to have a series of, of speeches through the, through the book. And it, it was almost like Moses takes a bit more of a front seat in the book of Deuteronomy to some degree. Um, but his charge every time is do not forget. Mm-hmm. Do not forget the laws and the commands that God has given you. Do not forget his faithfulness. Do not forget he brought you out of Egypt. Do not forget... So when you go into the promised land and you have all the things that you've been dreaming of, it would seem, do not forget mm-hmm. who brought you there. Mm-hmm. Do not forget that you have the living God with you, right? Um, so there's just some, some really great stories in there too. Um, but again, it, uh, I think it's most, most helpful to be thinking of it in that frame of forward looking, but with the, uh, the reminder to also have my eye looking back to see God's faithfulness
0: yeah and i think knowing that this is the second generation that's come out too right right? it's like reminding okay kids you were maybe like not born at mount sinai or you're maybe like five years old and running around and not listening (laughs) to the commands but now you're going to be the ones that are going to carry this forward and so it's that telling of the law to that next generation as well yeah yeah Yeah, so then we are going to go um as we look ahead into the New Testament, we're going to finish off Mark and start Luke. So, um, Jesse Schellenberg, what do you want to tell us about the end of Mark? Right. How we get to, yeah, where we end yeah. as Mark ends. Yeah, what do I do with
2: That's that? Right. There's brackets
1: in my Bible. It's totally so, yeah. for me. Yeah. Right. So most of our Bibles, yes, once you get to the end of Mark, uh, chapter 16, verse 8, there's going to be a little uh, parenthetical note that says um, some of the earlier manuscripts don't include these next 11 or so uh, verses. There's a few actually instances in the Bible. I think John seven and eight. There's the woman caught in adultery. Uh, there's John four. I think there's another one. Um, but but what do we do with that, right? Does this erode our confidence in in the scriptures? Mm-hmm. Are we should we read it? Should we rip that page out <laughs> out of our Bible? Uh, all good questions. I, I think the way I would try to answer it is first just to put my cards on the table. I think the the. Uh, the original uh, Markan account did not include those 11 verses. And my reasons for that would be the the two kind of best earliest manuscripts that we have don't include that ending. And then also throughout church history, there have been a few people that have made a note that, uh, no, they don't think that was original to the text. And then today we have countless really sharp men and women who are pouring their lives over the various manuscripts that we have, and they look at it, and there's some Greek words that weren't originally there, and and so on and so forth. So I think it's safe to say that that was an addition. And the reason there was that addition put there is Mark ends really weird. Mm -hmm. It's very abrupt, right? Appeared at Jesus, and they went and said nothing, and then, like, the (laughs) end screen credits roll. What is going on, right? And so I can see why someone wanted to add a little bit to that ending, and what they added is not extra biblical stuff. Um, The Great Commission is kind of infused in there. There's a few things. There's a weird little thing about picking up snakes and drinking poison that we can talk about (laughs) about at another time. Uh, But for the most part, it's nothing that adds to Jesus's life or character or a new theology that we we bring out of it. So I don't think it's dangerous in that way. Uh, But the reason I want to preserve the shorter ending is that I think it teaches us something. I think Mark was doing that intentionally. I think uh, the the abrupt end leaves well is is anyone gonna actually go and tell about mm-hmm. this this Jesus and and how are the nations gonna know about him if if the women are are silent and 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 they're in fear and I think what Mark's doing is inviting us to be like right, this story is now passed on to you, disciples, so are you going to write yourself in this story of Christ coming, calling to himself a people, and commissioning with the, the great commission to go and make disciples? Um, so yeah, I, I don't think it should erode our confidence at all, and if anything, the fact that we're willing to own it, that there's mm-hmm. differences in manuscripts, I think show that Christians want to be uh, honest and open with, with uh, what we have uh, and even a shameless plug to uh, the Apologetics Conference, and it might be over by the time this People podcast. listen to this, yeah. Right, totally. But uh, whether it's available online, there's just so many good uh, resources that we can go to to why we have confidence in, in the words in our Bible. Yeah, it's really good.
0: Yeah, and when we talk about manuscripts, we're meaning like, things that were written like 1,700 years ago that are kind of an unearthed geographic or archaeologically that are like portions of scripture, right? And they're either in Greek, mostly Greek or Hebrew, like the Masoretic text, which is the Hebrew one. Yeah. Um, And then there's some translations into like Latin Latin that were really early, um, some other translations. And so what we basically have about about 5,000, I think, like manuscripts. And so what these biblical scholars do is they compare them. And the vast majority... Are all the same, but then yeah. there's a few that have oh, all of a sudden this long ending of Mark comes up in this one that seems to be from the 400s, whereas right. the earliest one is like 350 or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So it's those kind of things where people say, okay, our most our oldest manuscripts are probably the most accurate yeah. in terms of closest to the time that yeah the events actually happened. Right. Yeah. 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 And that number
2: so, uh, five thousand is mm-hmm. uh, and roughly that's a rough number. Uh, is staggering yeah. when you consider oh, uh, other texts in history that we just take for granted as true history. Yeah, um, uh, they have nowhere near the same kind of corroboration yeah. of textual evidence and manuscript evidence as the scriptures do yeah. to the f- to the truthfulness of them. Like it's it's incredible. And how the God corresponding,
0: has them. yeah, like the accuracy between manuscripts, That's right? right? That's the right. way the scribes that were so kind of careful to to just copy things so carefully, totally. so yeah, accurately, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
3: That's yeah. why most of our Gospels aren't a whole bunch of those parenthetical things. That like, this wasn't right. maybe different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. Like, it's very rare. Yes. And, and yeah. not only is it rare, it's also not hidden. Like, yeah. our Bi- your Bible yeah. will say most earliest manuscripts don't have this. Yeah.
0: So. they are not trying to, the biblical scholars aren't trying to, like, put, pull the wool over anybody's yeah, eyes. Right. They yeah. want to be really transparent about that. So, yeah. yeah. So the last thing I'll just quickly mention, uh, we will then start into Luke. Um, Luke is a little bit different than the other Gospels in terms of... Um, who wrote it, like it's probably a Gentile person that wrote it. Uh, Luke was a doctor, a medical doctor. Um, he wasn't around during the events of Jesus's ministry, but it seems like he was a travel companion to Paul. So he shows up kind of for the first time in Acts 16, not even with his name, it just says, we did this and we did that. So people yeah. assume, oh, Luke must have joined Paul, yeah. kind of on the journey. He's mentioned by Paul a couple of different times in Colossians and Philemon and um, one of the other ones. Yeah, New Testament letters, I can't remember the third. But um, he says at the very very beginning of his gospel that he's writing it to a specific person named Theophilus, um, who we assume is a Greek person who's trying to kind of figure out this faith thing. And he basically says, I interviewed a whole bunch of eyewitnesses and this is the account of Jesus and what he did. And so he tells us really upfront who he's writing it to and why he's writing it. And it seems to be that Luke is trying to, because he's writing to this Theophilus, who we assume is a Gentile believer, He's trying to kind of tie the Gentiles back to this historic faith that's a Jewish faith. Because even in his genealogy of Jesus, he goes all the way back to Adam right. as the first person, not to Abraham. Whereas Matthew goes yeah, to Abraham, yeah. starting like this is a Jewish faith, right? Yeah. Or the roots are Jewish. But Luke seems to constantly be bringing us back to no, this is for all people. Yeah. This faith is for all people. And so you see that throughout his gospel that he's bringing people and as he goes, he actually wrote the book of Acts then as well, so the continuation of the story, and that's where you see the gospel going out to all nations. And so yeah. that seems to be one of his big emphasis, that this gospel message is not just for the Jews, it's also for the Greeks and for everybody else. Yeah. So.
1: And some of the unique content of Luke really speaks to that. Yeah. Right? It, it's emphasizing this, this gospel is for Jew and Gentile. Yeah,
0: Yeah, yeah. so looking forward to that as that's you cool. go into Luke. So, so I think that's where we will end the podcast today. Um, as Jesse Schellenberg mentioned, if you hear this podcast right away, you might be still in time to come to the Apologetics Canada conference on "Can I Test the Bible?" Mm-hmm. If not, um, there will be recordings and stuff online. They often yeah. post some of their things on their podcast later, and there's a whole video series that they're creating um, that's available to people on that topic. So, might be a good one to check out. Mm-hmm. And if not, um, just continue on reading. If you yeah. don't come to the conference, just continue reading your scriptures. And we will be back with you in April as we talk about um, what's coming up then.
1: And keep up posting on the chat group. Yeah. Uh, it's good to hear your questions. And I love seeing the little connections people are making from Old Testament to New Testament and seeing how Jesus is is, uh, is in there. I love it. I love it.
0: Yeah, we were talking about barbecuing fat right yes that was great <laughs> people ask jesse bacon. why is there why what do they have to do with this fat right. it, why can't they burn it why can't they eat it right. so all kinds of questions come up in that group chat which yeah, is yeah. great good stuff yeah good thanks for joining us take care see you next time